0: It must be nearly a year since we've seen each other. Well, it's 26 months exactly. Mm, since the day you fired us. Right. <laughs> f- 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 fired you? D- did I do that? Oh, don't worry, Kermit. We're getting along just great. Oh, mm, good. I'm fulfilling my lifetime ambition as a manual laborer. <laughs> now, now, Wayne, you know we get along fine What with what we get from my mother. Out of her pension money. Mm. <laughs> it's amazing how one can survive after one's career has been shot down. Yeah.
1: Hi ho, and welcome once again to a feat of lunatic daring, the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational. Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, the babies are back.
2: Yeah, I noticed. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's not fine. the
2: Muppet babies. <clears throat> Everything's fine. This is fine. I'm okay. <laughs> the baby Muppets. How you doing tonight? Uh, it's day five of a six-day week, so it'll be interesting. But Oh, you got to work in the morning? Uh-huh.
1: All right, we'll try to get through this quick then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll live. It's fine. This is a feed of Lunatic Daring, where a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets before we get started, I'd like to ask you to check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, lunaticdaring.com, where you'll find all of our episodes, our watch list, and our bibliography. Also, if you get a chance, please uh, give us a review or a rating on your podcast app of choice. It can really help us out. But, you know, if you like the show, go on and give us a quick review. It doesn't have to be more than a sentence or two. Uh, We're currently going through The Muppet Show two episodes at a time. The fourth season of The Muppet Show, two episodes at a time. And uh, again, we got a couple of good ones. No clunkers yet
2: this season. No, these are two pretty solid episodes. Uh, Let's get started. Let's get things started.
0: Borga. Oh, high Fifteen seconds to curtain, Mister Borga.
1: So Victor Borgia. I had heard of him. I knew he did the Muppet Show, and I think I can't. I don't swear by this. Don't don't uh, put me. You know, don't make me swear in a Bible. But I think I knew he played piano.
2: But that's all I got. So I'm not remotely cultured. I, I had no idea who he was. But he's lived. Or he he lived a very, very interesting life. Victor Borgia, born Borgia Rosenbaum on January 3rd, 1909 in Copenhagen, Denmark, to Bernard and Frederic or Frederica, I'm not sure how the double K is pronounced, Rosenbaum. His father was a violist with the Royal Danish Orchestra. His mother was a pianist. So he had music in the house right out of the gate. Uh, He began piano lessons at two. He gave his first recital at eight years old. He was a f- awarded full scholarships at the Royal Danish Academy of Music in 1918. So that's at nine years old. He's he's already a prodigy. I don't know the significance of the names that I'm about to list, but anyone who's listening who is a uh, student of classical music might make something of these. But he stud- studied under such names as Olivo Krauss, Victor Schioler, Frederick Lamond, and Egon Petri. I, I don't know who any of those people are but they sound significant. <laughs> he would go on to pay, play his first major concert uh, eight years later. So this is at 17 years old in 1926. Again, he was, a, he was a child prodigy. He'd basically been playing piano before he could walk. Something interesting he did was that he would start to work in a sort of a, a stand-up act and tell jokes at the piano. This became something that he was known for, and... Liberacci was someone who was known for a lot of pomp and things like that, but
1: and jokes. Liberacci told jokes.
2: He he was known for the jokes as well, but he was known for his personality more than he was known for his playing. Borges was known for his playing first and foremost, but he he sort of did that thing. There's that saying that you have to be very very intelligent as an actor to play someone stupid, and he I, I guess that's what he was doing on piano. He he knew that stuff as as well as he knew breathing, but because he knew it so well, he was able to play with it. In 1933, he married his first wife, Elsie Chilton. She was American. Uh, he started touring Europe and telling anti-Nazi jokes at a lot of his shows. It's important to mention that at this point, he doesn't actually speak English. He's actually abroad in 1940 when the German armed forces occupied Denmark. Uh, he, he was playing a concert in Sweden and decided to go from there to Finland, at which point he caught a ride to the US on an army transport. and He would arrive in the US and August of 1940. I couldn't find much about this, but he would later disguise himself as a soldier to return to Denmark to visit his dying mother, which is a movie that is just waiting to be made. He didn't speak any English when he got to the US, but he watched American movies to, to sort of learn, and he started adapting his jokes to American audiences. Sometime around then, he takes on the name Victor Borges, as opposed to Borges Rosenbaum, and he started performing on radio on Rudy Valley's radio show in 1941. He would later be hired by Bing Crosby for the Kraft Music Hall program not too long after that. In 1942, he, run, he won the Best New Radio Performer of the Year, and that segued into him being offered film roles. And these are like not small, bit film roles. I think Sinatra offered him one. He would also host the Victor Bohr show on NBC beginning in 1946 because everyone had their own show back then. Um, <laughs> yeah. He was known for playing a fool pretty often, seeming to forget the pieces that he was playing or playing the music upside down or sideways. And he would often transition from what would be be considered a complicated and highbrow piece to something that was harmonically similar, but more of a pop or jazz tune. In the 1960s, he got a musical sidekick named Leonid Hambro, which I hope is the name that guy was born with, because that's amazing. And he would also, it was sort of like a, I don't want to say a Laurel and Hardy thing, but you had a straight man and... Not straight man thing. Um, he would, of course, perform on the Muppet Show in season four. He he liked playing to the audience and uh, interacting with them, and he would ask them questions and like sometimes he would just randomly hand an audience member his sheet music. Um, but just like just as a joke, he just he loved rapping with the audience, and it seems like despite. Whatever stressful circumstances he might have had, he never really lost his levity. He, he made a number of different appearances. He was on Sesame Street. He was featured on The Electric Company. Uh, he conducted orchestras, including the Chicago Symphony and the New York Philharmonic and the London Philharmonic. In 1992, he would be invited to conduct the Royal da- Danish Orchestra, um, which was an honor for him. He In 1979, he founded the American Pianists Association, at the time called the Beethoven Foundation, with Julius Bloom and Anthony P. Habig. And they that association still exists today. They produced two major piano competitions, including the Classic Fel- Classical Fellowship Awards and the Jazz Fellowship Awards. Um, he would get married a second time out. He was married to Elsie for a while, but in 1953, he would remarry to someone named Sarah Bell Santa Scraper. A lot
1: of good names in this
2: one. Right? Yeah. Um, and they married in 1953 and stayed married until she passed away in September of 2000 at age 83. He had five children uh, who would occasionally perform with him through or when he was with Elsie, he adopted Ronald and Janet Um, and then Santa, Victor and Frederic or Rick with Sarah Bell on the 23rd of December in the year 2000, which was not very long after his wife passed. Borg died in Greenwich, Connecticut at the age of 91. Um, He died peacefully in his sleep. Right after coming back from Denmark. He certainly liked playing with the Muppets. He he did. And I, I think, like, he's making me think of, like, a Danish Fred Rogers. Like, he just seems like he was really sweet. Yeah. Really sweet, very quick to be self-effacing, very, very good sport. But you can also tell he can play. Oh, can he play? The Muppet Show, episode 405, featuring guest star Victor Borg, produced between May 22nd and May 24th of 1979, directed by Phil Kasson. It would premiere in the UK on November 9th, 1979, and stateside about a week earlier on November 1st of the same year. We uh, we come to our cold open where we see Victor at the piano and Scooter comes in, and Victor informs Scooter that he's playing Beethoven, a minuet in G Major, and asks if Scooter has any requests. Of course, the bust of Beethoven is there.
0: <laughs> yes! Don't play Beethoven.
2: Which, by the way, I haven't given that much thought to the bust of Beethoven, but what if he's just cursed to be... Like, Statler and Waldorf are angling toward where he's going to be at because his ghost hates the idea of the Muppet Show, but he can't leave that bust. Uh, Then we get to the Muppet Show opening in my first warning of Nightmare Fuel. We go through the Muppet Show theme, as as we usually would, but as soon as it comes time for Gonzo to blow his trumpet, he's tackled and just sort of dogpiled by a bunch of the... The baby Muppets. Um, <laughs> one note that I put, cause like the thing is, this is our first foray into the episode and the baby Muppets are out of sight, out of mind a lot of the time because I don't want to ruminate. But the only note that I put down as soon as I saw that was the horror. <laughs> like there's, there's that freeze frame of Gonzo looking at the screen and Gonzo's eyes are always kind of big anyway. But in this particular case, startled Gonzo looks like he's afraid for his life. And he does upsetting. look scared of the babies. Understandably they're yeah. way too mobile. We, uh, we get into our opening number. It's constructed to look like an inner city neighborhood where there's just a set. But Link Hogthrob comes in. Is it okay to just call him a leather daddy? Like, what? how should we describe it? That's what he's dressed as. <laughs> Rob Halford, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Link Hogthrob comes in with a gang of male pigs in a rendition of Macho Man.
0: Everybody wants to be a macho macho man. A kind of that's
2: which had weird elementary school trigger flashbacks for me because my gym le- or my gym teacher always used to play the the village people for some reason i I guess it's just like a a good cadence for jumping jacks or something yeah it's good to move to i guess it's like a not quite west side story deal because gonzo is there with the chickens as a rival gang and once you're a chicken (laughs) you're a chicken for life um (laughs) the chick yeah i know i just watched the spielberg west side story
1: (laughs) so that immediately popped out to me but you missed it's chickens with wigs oh that's right they did
2: have wigs (laughs)
1: yeah and it's a it's a as Kermit says later it's a rumble between these two gangs singing Macho
2: Man and I love every second of it I mean that's all we really need is the West Side story as scored by the village people like well and then Patrol Bear shows up and he's basically
1: playing Officer Kripke trying to like break up the gangs and that doesn't go very well oh he takes a fire pot to the head <laughs> and uh and uh yeah and it's just this gang battle between the pigs and the chickens Gonzo is the leader singing Macho Man and and
2: And your favorite thing, it ends with projectile chickens. Yeah, that is great. I I put down like two notes for this randomly. One was the first thing I put down because, yes, Link is dressed up as a leather daddy. But just because Link is is. dressed up as a leather daddy doesn't mean he's not wearing the neckerchief. That's true. (laughs) And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I wasn't alive in the 70s. I don't know if this was coded differently. But by modern standards, that's an interesting choice.
1: After his scene, after his episode
2: with Leslie and Warren. Come on. Yeah. Also, we know who the real Link is. But I never thought that I'd see bromance between Gonzo and Link. Well, they're also rivals.
1: At at best, they're star-crossed lovers. (laughs) My wife pointed out that this is the first Angry Birds. She's not wrong. (laughs) Once they start using the clothesline to fling chickens
2: at the pigs. She's not wrong. She was like, this is like Angry Birds. I I hadn't made that connection, but I'm not going to be able to unsee that now. I love this so much. It's a, it's our opening numbers of so the season fun. have all been like very, very good palate cleansers just to be like, yeah, this is the Muppet show.
1: This is a banger though. This is just it's like, the song is perfect. Plus there's something.
0: <laughs> I don't know.
2: I don't know if that stays in, but I want it to. <laughs> the thing is, I didn't mean it like that, but it could also be interpreted that way. So yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh,
1: but it also like, there's, there's a, there's a comedic element, of course, to Gonzo singing about being a macho man because he's anything but, but I, I guess you're right though. In the seventies, they would have been seen as bikers. They would have been seen as tough guys, although leather daddies existed in the seventies for sure. Hmm. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's, it's very, <laughs> it's very rooted in its time period and it, it plays very differently now. <laughs> and Jim and Dave are both great on oh, yeah. their performances. And uh, and it ends with the pigs surrendering to the chickens.
2: <laughs> From there we go backstage for our backstage story. And we we meet a new character, which is a, a whatnot in a trench coat. But my the note that I put down was just CPS because he comes in and he asks if Bobby Benson's working there. And Kermit directs him downstairs where he's rehearsing. And like this whatnot is dressed up like your stereotypical private eye or maybe a little bit like the Pink Panther. Scooter comes in and he says that he's seen him on TV, but he can't remember what show, which this predates to catch a predator, but it's (laughs) it's got that vibe to it. A little bit, yeah. And then like we go straight to Bobby where the babies have just finished rehearsing, and the man asks Bobby if they can speak in private. At which point Fozzie, brave, foolish Fozzie, volunteers to watch stupid, stupid Fozzie. Oh, He volunteers to watch the babies, and he attempts to tell them a couple of stories, maybe a couple of jokes. The babies take umbrage at this and physically assault the bear. They're pack hunters. It's just it's upsetting, it's terrifying Oh, the one the drummer is like hammering him with his drumsticks? That's what they're for. It's a percussion instrument. So what did you think this guy was doing? What did you think Bobby's crime was? I thought it was CPS and it was just like, you've got too many kids to reasonably take care of. And I know it's okay to smoke in a room full of babies in the seventies, but also do we really (laughs) think Bobby Benson's like, I think Bobby Benson is a proud father. I don't know if that's the same thing as being a responsible father. He's very proud of his babies. I think he's very sweet with his babies. Oh, I would, I would argue that too, but like. Going back and watching, rewatching *Miss Doubtfire* as an adult, you kind of understand why Sally Field left Robin Williams.
1: I would also like to point out: I think Richard Hunt does a great job with Bobby in this episode. Oh yeah, I think it's it's the only time, and probably the only time ever, we're going to get like a backstage story about Bobby Benson. <laughs> and uh, I think Richard Hunt does such a great job, and he's got he develops this catchphrase for him that I know, I know. <laughs> But yeah, Fozzie, Fozzie's not the one to take care of the babies.
0: My name is Fozzie the Bear, yeah, yeah. And I am going to tell you a whole bunch of funny stories. Stories? Yeah. All right. Did you hear the one about the two kangaroos? Ah!
2: Fozzie shouldn't take care of any children, really. I'm not sure how many people on The Muppet Show should take care of children, to be fair. As we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sort of a rehash of taking care of Fufu, but a significantly more dangerous Fufu. We go into our first number with Victor, and appropriately enough, he's playing with Rolf Ralph, with Ralph at the piano. And they, they have a little bit of banter talking about I
0: hope you don't mind. I'm just here to admire your technique. <laughs> I play the piano too, you know. Oh, you do? That is interesting. Yeah, I hope that's okay with you. Yes, it certainly is. I chase cats once in a while myself. I hope that's all right with you. Listen, be my guest. No, you be my guest. Let's play something together. Hey, can I do that? What do you know? Do you know anything? Maybe something by Bach? (laughs) My bark is worse than my bite. (laughs) There are three Bachs, you know. Johann, Sebastian, and Offenbach. I often bark myself.
2: <laughs> this is our first real shot of Victor. And he does, he's never not warm. Like even if he's a little no. standoffish here and it's it's faux standoffish, I'm sure he's ecstatic to be there. Anytime he's on screen, he just he radiates that sort of warmth. And there's also that that propensity to roll with it and just be like, well, this isn't really what I wanted to do, but let's do it. They end up playing lists Hungarian Rhapsody number 2 which i believe one of the people that Victor studied under was a student of lists directly um okay well but they they play it as a duet while trading classical music jokes they run over and play through each other's hands and
1: they rotate <laughs> they 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 have one point where they rotate
2: out i was waiting for alf to say modulate Um, Yeah,
1: there was no modulate,
2: (laughs) but uh, um, this was really clever and charming. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. It's great to see Rolf getting a decent amount of screen time. But uh, yeah, the way they
1: interact with each other, the
2: way Victor leans in and plays the keys in between Rolf's
1: hands. And then one time Victor plays the piano with his ass. Mm -hmm. One thing throughout this episode that I found interesting is Victor's never going to get through a number straight. (laughs) Not really. Yeah. You know, he never there's not a moment. uh, uh, There's never a moment where he just sits down and plays a piece. There's always a joke. (laughs) (laughs) And I I like that. I like that about it. You know, like, I don't know, especially as a kid. I'm sure I was like in my kids, too. Like, I I don't think I could have handled an actual Beethoven concert in the middle of my
2: Muppet show. You know, no. So we go backstage again. And like the Bobby Benson story is great at a distance, but it makes me wonder about those guys that are just like. Yeah, so I've been laundering money for about 30 years, and I need you to keep an eye on my kids for a little bit.
0: Uh, Kermit, I'm just going to step out for a few minutes with my friend. That's oh, fine, Bobby. Uh, have somebody watch the babies, will you? Oh, sure. Yeah, Not Fozzie. He doesn't seem to have the money. Come nut. on, Benson. Come <laughs> on. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Hey, I just remembered what TV show I saw that guy on. It was the 6 o'clock news. He's a cop.
2: <laughs> because he's a cop. Strange credulity there, but okay. I don't think I'd recognize any cop. No, <laughs> I mean, news. this guy's probably a detective. He's not dressed like your standard, you know. But
1: Bobby, like, he's going off the, like, first of all, I, I wasn't sure whether Bobby was coming back.
2: It would be, I don't think they ever really, like, officially kill anyone off the show or anything like that. So it would be interesting for this to be the one character that we yeah. had a reason for them to never come back. And he
1: just vanishes. <laughs>
2: But the kids stay. But, uh, um, <laughs> they're they're all worried because they don't know okay. who's going to watch the babies. Because obviously we can't let Fozzie do it. But Miss Piggy, ever the opportunist, shows up, <laughs> humming Piggy. "Bram's Lullaby," and she whisks the kids off, saying she'll be a wonderful mother someday. Which you know, subtle.
0: Don't worry about the babies. I shall take care of them. <laughs> you, Miss Piggy? Of course. I'm I love children, and they adore me. I not believe this. Kermit, I'll make a wonderful mother someday.
1: She, no, she tells Kermit she'll be a wonderful mother someday. She's very specifically talking to Kermit. Yeah. I love children. I'll be a wonderful mother someday. And Kermit gives this big gulp. Like, I think she's wearing him down. I think he's starting to realize he's going to marry this pig, whether he likes it or not.
2: I think he's worried about the fact that she's so flagrant in her disregard for boundaries that he probably worries about his safety a little more. Poor piggy. Like, she's going to volunteer to take care of these babies, and she is not cut out for it. I don't think she ever meant to take care of the babies. I think she just wanted people to think that she could take care of the babies. Oh yeah, because um, like as soon as that door closes, that tone shifts, and she goes full Disney step bomb. <laughs> just
0: come right in. That's right. That's right, babies. Just relax and enjoy yourselves. And shut up.
2: Uh, from there, I just so for the next bit, the note that I put down was Proto Rizzo because we don't meet Rizzo for a little while yet.
1: I didn't write Proto-Rizzo, but I wrote that these are these early rat sketches are not nearly as refined as they're going to be. Uh uh-huh. There's a rat sketch, there's like a famous rat sequence in Muppet State Manhattan mm-hmm. that is like well beyond this. You know, this is like a first go with the with the rats. Or not the first go, but an early go with the rats.
2: The the rats sing Rock Around the Clock, and it's like a dusty attic room. A leader is perched inside of a grandfather clock, uh, and it starts off with like a, a recitation of Hickory Dickory Dog, but that that's that transition. It's a smooth transition slides into rock around the clock. And it's just, it's a fun number. This could have been the opening number. It's it could have been. Yeah. It's a solid it one. Uh, cat. Gut, it's a little less spectacular. A little bit. Yeah. But it's, it doesn't lose its groove though. Like it's, it's a solid one. Uh, cat Gut, our old friend from, um, Brimmen. The yeah. One of the less terrifying ones from Brimmin. Oh uh, yeah. But the most depressing one. Yeah.
0: Call me Catgut Well, howdy, Miss Catgut, ma'am uh, What you doing sitting around this spooky old graveyard? Fact is, I may not be dead, but I'm waiting to die And you boys might as well leave me alone Ah, uh, don't say that, ma'am Why, we as traveling musicians And we'd be might pleased to Sorry, donkey, honey Oh, Catgut ain't interested in no musicians no more. I done sung my last song.
1: Catgut <laughs> was the saddest of the bunch. It's true. Yeah, just playing some Bill Haley in the Comets. I mean, I'm surprised it, it, I'm surprised it took him four seasons to get to Rock Around the Clock.
2: So we go back to Victor and his piano in his dressing room where he plays the Blue Danube. Uh, but it stop- he stops because I guess the piano's a little out of tune. I guess, yeah, or he's just hitting the wrong key. Yeah. And he he pulls out the sheet music from a compartment in his chair, and he plays it again following the notation. And it comes out exactly the same, and he's like, I was right. And it's a subtle little joke. It is, but I also felt a kindred spirit because there are all these. There, it's it's such a regular thing for me to be like, did I do that wrong? I'm assuming this. And then yeah. just to suddenly hit that other end it's like, oh no, no, no. I was right. I was right. It's fine. Very bizarre little moment with Beethoven just sitting in the back watching. And then we get the UK spot, which feels la- the least like a UK spot I think of any UK spots that we've gotten up to this point. I can't believe this is a UK spot.
0: They're gonna put me in the they're gonna make a big star out of me. will make a film about a man who's sad and lonely. And all I gotta do is
1: act naturally. Uh, this is one of my favorite Muppets things ever. This is one of my favorite numbers
2: in the history of the Muppet Show. I had no idea it was a UK spot. It's it's a really good one. We've got Gonzo standing in front of a mirror playing a song or singing a song called Act Naturally while playing the ukulele. And he, he sort of duet, slides it into a duet with himself or with his reflection in the mirror. Uh, the yeah. song Act Naturally was originally recorded by Buck Owens written and written by John Russell and Bonnie Morrison in 1963. It would later be a hit for the Beatles. Yeah, most people know it from the Beatles version. Maybe that's why it's a UK spot, but still, it, it feels weird that this isn't a full number. It,
1: it doesn't. Yeah, it's, a, it's not only a full number, it's a complicated number. Um, with, you know, Gonzo's playing in front of the mirror and then, of course, they make a cut and there's no mirror anymore and there's now two Gonzo puppets playing a, a crossy from each other, right? Mm. Um, with the mirror gone. And you can see the cuts when they happen. You can see little jump cuts when they when they go from the, the mirror to the not mirror.
0: Hey, wait a minute. You can't do this. Why not? Well, you're a reflection. You're supposed to do just what I do. But you do ludicrous things. I do What? ludicrous things of course i do i'm an artist and all i gotta do
1: is act naturally of course i do i'm an artist i i love this song um it it, it was a, i believe it was just a single but it's now packaged on um it comes on uh, versions of the beatles album help which also happens to be my favorite beatles album so it just kind of i don't know i just love this song but i love this song because of the muppets not because of the beatles to know that I did not see this in the U.S. and that I've only caught it in proceed, you know, since then, uh, I was very surprised that it was a UK spot. Really good camera work, really good performances, good visual trickery. Like I said, you can see the seams a little bit, but that's OK. And it's really well done.
0: All I gotta
1: do is naturally.
2: That was terrible. has been having a rough night. I think he just wants a supportive, you know friend to be there and in the past that's been the guest star uh so he enters victor's dressing room and he's making a bunch of noise as he does despite the fact that victor asked that he stay quiet um and he starts into beethoven's moonlight sonata which means that the bus to beethoven's probably about to get upset
1: well and also like he, he tells fozzy it's going to be really boring which moonlight sonata is not boring it's just slow it's uh, very methodical but he he warns he warns Fozzy that it's going to be boring, and then uh, and then they fall asleep <laughs> while playing. And most it.
2: of Beethoven falls asleep as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Um, but Fozzie, you know, trying to save face is just like I found that fascinating. At which point, Victor invites him to come back later so he can watch him tie his shoes.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just a, again. There's a lot of these little interstitial moments almost with Victor. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's actually in this episode quite a bit, but several of them are in these little kind of, kind of spots, you know, he sits down a lot in this episode. He's sitting for most of it. And he's in the, he's in his dressing room for most of the episode as well.
2: Mm-hmm. From the, from the backstage, cause we don't actually get seen to see into the room just yet. Kermit and Scooter stop by to see how Piggy's doing with the kids. Um, and Piggy assures us that everything's fine and it's great. And as soon as Kermit goes downstairs, she asks Scooter to stay because it's not going fine. It is not great. So scooter <laughs> goes into the room. The babies are. And Scooter comes into Nick's nightmare. If they're crawling up the walls, I don't know. It's going like, I can't believe I just forgot the name of that movie. You uh, and McGregor heroin addiction, train spotting, train spotting. It goes a little train spotting. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's. <laughs> Luckily it doesn't go all the way <laughs> um, we don't know that it doesn't. We have concerns in a couple of seconds. Choose life. Piggy asks scooter to come in and they're just all over the place and Piggy orders scooter to get the kids out <laughs> Well there's one hey hang- there's one fly hang- is
1: swinging from the ceiling uh-huh they're destroying everything <laughs> like the drumstick do. kid is doing his stuff. <laughs> it's a total nightmare <laughs> but yeah piggy is not um. She's not handling the babies well. She does not handle a lot of things well. So uh, then we get the, the Swedish chef um, comes out and he's trying to make turtle soup. First of all, I don't think this is how turtles work. But uh, whenever he tries to chop off the turtle's head, the head ducks into back into the shell. And then the head appears at the other end of the shell. And then he tries to chop off its head again. I mean, he's literally trying to decapitate the thing. And he gets frustrated. And what does he go for? His blunderbuss. Uh, but this time the turtle turns into a tank basically <laughs> and two basically artillery cannons come out and he guns down the chef, just shoots him right in the face. Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. Um, <laughs> whenever it, Tarantino's got this thing in Pulp Fiction, where more than once or no it, reservoir dogs does it too. And Pulp Fiction does it too, where he says something about shooting someone in the face. And that's so much funnier than shooting somebody in the head. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and, and the chef just gets gunned down in cold blood. He survives though. Cause we see him coming off stage. Um,
2: in this next bit so but it's it's fine it's not my favorite Swedish chef bit backstage we get to see Bobby again which I guess somehow he can afford all of those kids and bail but
0: oh good the babies are upstairs with Miss Piggy oh fine.
1: oh and instantly Bobby uh, what was that all about
2: oh just an unpaid debt
0: (laughs) well actually I lost a lawsuit to the tooth fairy
1: yeah what does that mean does he collect his kids teeth like I mean, obviously, the joke is he's got a lot of children. Therefore, there's a lot of money that the Tooth Fairy owes him or pays out. Yeah, I just didn't get the he lost a lawsuit to the Tooth Fairy. Just has something to do with the sheer amount of money that he gets from the Tooth Fairy. Maybe he's been pocketing it, and the Tooth Fairy's like that's supposed to go to the babies. But those babies are young, man. They're not losing teeth yet. I if they're Fay, they might be very old. Oh, you you think they're some sort of woodland creatures? They could be changelings. I don't know. Oh, okay. They are some, kind of some, sort of some sort of mystical creatures that would be hanging out in Kensington gardens or something.
2: Yeah. But he but but Bobby's back. Everything apparently he worked it worked out, all worked out. Which at which point Miss Piggy comes out to allow him to take <laughs> control of his babies again. And the thing is, the babies terrify me, but they're also baby muppets. Babies. And I don't want anything bad to happen to them. And gravity is a cruel, cruel mistress. <laughs> Piggy drops one like blanket. It's like
1: Blanket. It's like when when Michael almost dropped Blanket.
2: And Kermit, the only responsible adult on the show, if only by comparison.
1: Yeah, I said relatively.
2: Catches the baby. And the baby, to Kermit's horror, because these babies exist for horror, says, Piggy,
0: mommy, Kermit,
2: daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which I think is something that Piggy was just drilling inside of the room. Like something she was singing to herself or something? As Piggy says right afterwards, out of the mouths of babes, you know?
0: Piggy, mommy, kermy daddy.
1: That's just how they understand the situation. She's a devious one. mommy,
2: kermy daddy. (laughs) Mama, not the mama. We're not there yet. We'll cover cover dinosaurs in a few years. (laughs) On stage and not in his dressing room, which is good. uh, We see Bobby and the baby, or the babies, or to accompany Victor in a performance of Tchaikovsky of Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number no. One, all the babies have tiny, tiny instruments—a kazoo, a slide whistle, a toy piano—but it's it's not just the piano concerto. They slide into a bunch of other things, including twelve variations on "Avou dirige maman." I hope I pronounced that right. Colonel Bogey March and "Pop Goes the Weasel." And it's just, it's a fun number. He's there. I I feel like you could stick this guy anywhere and just start, like, he could be, you could put him on stage with Old Dirty Bastard. He wouldn't know any of the lyrics to any of ODB's songs or anything like that. But eventually he's going to find the beat and just be like, yeah, you can rap over this piano, but it's fine. I feel like this guy is really, really versatile. I don't think he's one of those cases where he's super controlling backstage while appearing super relaxed on stage. It just seems like he's just like, I like music. Music likes me. Let's make music.
1: Yeah, no, even even again, though, in his big closing number, um, he's still just goofing around <laughs> with the babies and uh, has a good time. Um, terrifying, terrifying baby Muppets. I liked hearing their Colonel Bogey March. That's a very famous British march featured heavily in the bridge of the river Kwai. But uh, yeah. And then a little pop goes a weasel at the end. Bobby's just, he's just conducting his babies while Victor played Tr- Victor. I, it almost feels like Victor's trying to keep up with them.
2: <laughs> he sits down so much when it comes to the ending here. I was just surprised to see him standing. <laughs> the nightmare fuel doesn't end as we close out this episode. As they're signing off, Kermit and Victor are joined by Bobby and the babies to thank him for being their guest soloist they present him with a baton uh which he accepts but he also states that they've given him a lot else or much else already like chickenpox. which i realize like it was a thing for my generation but younger generations don't have to worry about that anymore do they nope kids don't get chickenpox anymore that's a weird thought they don't have to suffer the uh calamine lotion bath vaccines work people yeah what are the
1: odds <laughs> <laughs> vaccines work. I had chicken pox as a kid.
2: My kids won't have it. No, chicken pox was not fun. It's an exercise in self control because you're really not supposed to scratch. I don't know. I didn't know much about him, but I really enjoyed him. I did too. Um, I think I think I would have enjoyed one of his live shows if I'd been around to see it.
1: He 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 felt to me like a more down to earth Liberace. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. So, Nick, there's one thing about, um, how to put this, it's not as as prevalent today, but it used to be, up until recently, that television stars were bigger stars than even movie stars, right? Or they were more famous than movie stars. And the reason why is you invite them into your home, you have them on during dinner. You know, think about all the people that watch, like, Law & Order just, like, have it on in the background, you know, Mm -hmm. the million reruns of Law & Order, or episodes of Friends that are just on TBS or something and you just play. Television stars become parts of the family. I hadn't thought about Linda Lavin in years. I had not, she had not crossed my mind in years. But I grew up watching her show. I found myself oddly affected by this episode because it, it took me back so hard to, to being a child because I was like, oh, this woman was part of my life. This woman was part of my family for several years. Uh, Linda Lavin was born in Portland, Maine on October 15, 1937. Her dad was a businessman and her mom an opera singer. With music being a family tradition, Linda went on the stage for the first time at age five performing. Uh, she would go on to study acting in New York and did several plays when she was in college at William & Mary. Uh, After graduation, she did a few shows on Broadway, with her breakthrough being the musical It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman in 1966. That got her her first Tony nod and landed her a lead in the new Neil Simon play. She moved to Los Angeles in the early 70s, took some time off, then returned to the theater over a decade later, winning her first Tony Award in 1987 for her performance in Neil Simon's Broadway Bound. She then starred in Gypsy uh, as Mama Rose in 1990. She did more Broadway, too. She did The Sister's Rosenwig. Uh, she did The diary, diary of Anne Frank. That was the Natalie Portman production of that show, actually. She did one-act plays written by, by Aileen May and Woody Allen. And she would go on to star in many, many plays, her most recent being in 2017, appearing in the New York City Opera's production of Candide at the age of 79. But let's back up a little. Like I said, Linda moved to Los Angeles in 71. She did the customary guest appearances on shows until she landed a role on the 1970s classic Barney Miller. But she left after two seasons because she was offered the lead on a show called Alice, which ran for nine years. It was based on the Martin Scorsese film Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, about a a single mother who works in a diner. The sitcom was a giant hit, and during the run of the show, Linda was nominated for an Emmy and won two Golden Globes. She also performed the show's theme song.
0: I cooked and cleaned and went out of my head
1: After Alice, she went back to the stage, but did star in some short-lived sitcoms in 92 and 98 and 2014. She did a lot of TV guest spots along the way, including The O.C., Touched by an Angel, The Sopranos, and Bones. Linda was mostly a TV star, uh, with very few movie credits to her name, and her big-screen debut wasn't until 1984 in The Muppets Take Manhattan. In 2019, she joined the cast of the Netflix, of the Netflix show Santa Clarita Diet with Drew Barrymore. She's still working at age 84. She's been married three times, has no biological children, but raised her stepchildren from her both her second and her third marriage. This has been a brief and probably sloppy bio of a very talented actor who um, who uh, was kind of a prodigy when she started out. And she was a big part of my childhood because of Alice. Alice started the year I was born, same as The Muppet Show, but it was on for nine years. So by the time it ended, I had grown up watching Alice. I can't I can't. And here's the thing. I can't tell you much about the show. I can tell you the premise. I can tell you a couple of the characters, and I can tell you the catchphrase. Muppet Show episode number 406 with special guest star Linda Lavin, produced end of May 1979, premiered that fall in New York, and premiered that winter in uh, the UK, directed by Peter Harris. We come in our cold opening, and uh, we find out that Scooter is a wizard, Harry.
2: Which is a terrifying thing when you really think about it, because that guy is absolutely a sociopath and should not have reality warper powers. I don't like the idea of Scooter having these powers either. No, it's going to turn into no. that Twilight Zone episode. It's a good life. You're a bad man, <laughs> Scoo- Kermit. You're a bad, bad man. Bad man. Oh, God, that's a good episode.
0: You're a bad man. You're a very bad man.
1: Scooter comes in and asks Linda if he can get her anything. She says, can you make me a sandwich? And he goes, OK, you're a sandwich, which is, you know a typical joke, but then she poof turns into a giant sandwich. She
2: used her wish wrong.
1: Yeah. She she does use her wish wrong. You know, she has a a little gripe about every, you know, about everyone being a comedian with, but, but that's not the important part. The important part is that
2: Scooter turns her into a sandwich. Terrifying. I mean, there are people that I definitely wouldn't want to have reality warper powers on the Muppet show, but Scooter is pretty close to the top of the list. If not at the very top of the list,
1: Uh, we have our theme song. uh, When, um, Gonzo blows his horn. He just kind of vanishes. He's done this before, hasn't he? Not exactly like this. This is a more of a blind pattern, you know, Mm -hmm. like a Venetian blind type of thing. So Kermit comes out and he's going to introduce the show. And this is very important. Kermit comes out to introduce the show, to start the show. And uh, he's what he's going to be introducing is um, a guy, a Hungarian water juggler. That's his opening act, um, which sounds uh, awful. And instead, Piggy comes out and...
0: Tonight's show is canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but you can't cancel a show. Uh, The first act is all ready to go on. Zuzu Fitzwaller, the Hungarian water juggler. (laughs) No, he isn't. (laughs) He isn't? How come? Because, come at the frog, this is your birthday!
1: (laughs) And this is going to be our our story for this episode. It is Kermit the Frog's birthday, and his friends have decided to throw a celebration celebrating the life of the frog.
2: I'm going to say, if ever there was probable cause to fire Piggy, it's probably just going going behind your back and saying, congratulations, the show's canceled, but this is how we make our income. and We've got obligations to people that we said we're going to be on. But tonight's about Kermit. It's his birthday celebration, Nick. It's not about Kermit. It's about piggy search for validation.
1: So uh, instead of instead of we uh, Hungarian water juggling, uh, we get a song called Be a Frog, which is a satire of Be a Clown, which is a Cold Porter song everyone's heard. Be a clown, be a clown, be a clown. But this is Be a Frog, Be a Frog, Be a Frog.
0: I remember forever when I was but three. Yes, Mama, who was clever, remarking to me, if dear... When you grow up, you want everything nice. Yeah. You've got your future sewn up if you take this advice. What is this? Ah! Be a frog, be a frog. All the world
1: loves a frog. I wrote down, I am terrified by... Ca- by the a cow with Kermit eyes. Yeah,
2: that's that was my note too. It's the eyes. It it's upset because like, we've got we've got the Frog Prince frogs
1: and they have regular pupils because they don't have
2: Kermit eyes. They just have their regular pupils. Their regular just black dots. The thing about it is, it made me uncomfortable looking at Kermit for a second too, because it forces you to ask why his eyes are like that. And then <laughs> there's no reason. Like. <laughs> I'm just imagining some sort of a terrible childhood trauma and like maybe he's like Bowie and it just like he got hit in one eye really hard and it just makes it look like they're two different colors because one pupil is permanently dilated or something.
1: Well, we found out that happened. Remember, uh, John Denver shined a flashlight in his eye. Remember? Oh, yeah. How how do you think my eyes got this way? But uh, so, so Piggy puts on this whole big production number with frogs and pigs that are dressed up as frogs. And a cow that has Kermit the Frog's eyes—that is not okay. I
2: don't think anyone but Kermit having Kermit's eyes is okay. Yeah, the pigs don't look great either. No, I mean that might no. be what their kids look like, but still, no. And it ends with Piggy wearing a
1: big fuzzy green hat and a collar and singing about being a frog. Tonight is a, it's a tribute to Kermit, but it's also a tribute to frogs.
2: It's I I've heard rumors of an old '70s show, like it. I don't know if it's properly called a game show, but it's just This Is Your Life, where celebrities will come on stage. And meet people that they haven't talked to in I don't know how long. And that seems like it influenced the format of this episode. Oh, this is a satire of that.
1: Flat out. Like, this is a satire of This Is Your Life. Because whenever they say, Kermit the Frog, this is your birthday. And they bring somebody out. Mm -hmm. They're parodying This Is Your Life. So Kermit comes backstage. He's a little flummoxed. He doesn't know what's going on here. The show's been hijacked. And he runs into Zuzu Fitzwaller, the Hungarian water juggler, who is maybe the saddest character we've ever seen. He's up there. He is crying all the time. And he explains to Kermit, I can't believe you. You fired me. Like, I
0: practiced and I practiced. I was going to juggle a whole bucket full. Is it hard? The trick is hard. The water is soft. I'm sorry that the act was canceled, Zuzu. My girl Gloria came all the way from Pittsburgh.
1: And he's, he's so sad. And he's so sad that Kermit's like, you know what? I'm uncanceling you. Get back on the stage and do your thing. <laughs> um, but that doesn't happen either. Because um, Piggy needs to be fired. Because Piggy comes in and fires him again. And uh, Kermit comes out to introduce him. And he comes out very, very sad again.
2: But wait, wait. How many people on the Muppet staff have the power to fire someone? Technically only one.
1: But... So we come out and and he's going to introduce Zuzu and Zuzu comes out crying again. He's talking to his girl in the audience and he's like, meet me, meet me, meet me, meet me after the show. I'm not going on tonight. (laughs) He's just bawling. And um, Kermit is uh, and we get one of those moments where uh, Fozzie comes out and says, Kermit the Frog, this is your birthday. Do you recognize this voice? And it's exactly what they would do on This Is Your Life.
0: Here is the first of your birthday greetings. Do you recognize this voice? Hermit, do you remember all the time we spent working on breathing exercises? Uh, I I don't believe it. It's it's Mr. Dawson, my old acting coach. Yes, all the way from Leland, Mississippi. Your old acting coach, Mr. Dawson.
1: (laughs) It's my old acting coach. And out comes a frog in like a tweed jacket. I laughed harder at this than I ever should have. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and how? What? Kermit... <laughs> well, first of all, Fozzie says that that the frog is coming all the way from Leland, Mississippi, which is a nice touch. There's another Jim Henson meta joke later, and we see the origin of Kermit's uh, hand wavy thing. We see where Kermit learned it uh, that that his acting coach taught him how to wave his hands and scream like an
2: idiot. It was it was really nice, really tidy. Tim making that pivot from like I need to look after this Hungarian water juggler to holy crap, you're here. And like sincerely, because he could have played the like, oh, crap, here's someone else. He's like, oh, wait, no, I actually, I do love you. What is what are you doing here? Yeah, and it's Dave Goals playing Mr. Dawson. Uh, So it's Dave Goals doing kind of his
1: gym impression of Kermit waving his arms. I'm waving my arms as I speak. I'm I'm understanding that this is a uh, audio medium, but I'm still still waving my hands around while I'm talking about it. Then we get into a number that seems straight out of the 80s, despite the fact it's 1979. Linda and the Electric Mayhem come out and they sing a song called The More I See You. It's from a 1945 movie called Billy Rose's Diamond Horseshoe. Never heard of it. What is up with her outfit? We don't talk
2: fashion that much, but... So you know how sometimes we'll get random large birds on the show? I kept expecting one to just poke its head in from slightly off camera throughout this entire bit, especially when it's focused on her. Like Fletcher
1: Bird to show up? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a pretty straightforward number of her and the mayhem singing the song. She's just dressed in this red outfit with this short skirt and leggings and some kind of jacket-y type thing, but it's all red and it looks very like, I mean, she's not wearing leg warmers, but she's close to it. And, um, and it felt very eighties to me, um, or or what will become the (laughs) eighties soon after. But, uh, it's just pretty much a straight number you know there's not there's not a whole lot to it they just come out and play the song you know she dedicates it to kermit she's there's some whatnot um backup singers and all of the mayhem get little solos which is nice but uh in general i don't know not my favorite number just because there's no joke to it like i didn't find this song especially cool and there's no
2: joke to it it's weird because usually if we get like just a straight mayhem number it doesn't need jokes um, and I didn't think this was That's bad, true. but it was something that just more felt like it wasn't necessarily for me. She's got a nice yeah. voice. Yeah. But it just, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was just, I'm probably going to forget it when I'm drumming up my, my end of season lists. But I'll forget it tomorrow, probably. So then
1: Linda comes down uh, after her number and uh, she, she's, she, the chef is for some reason doing some work out in the middle of the, like, in the theater, like backstage. And Linda comes down and says, you know, Oh, are you making something special for Kermit's birthday? And he has made a chopped liver model of Kermit for Kermit's birthday. That's his birthday cake.
2: So we've talked about nightmare fuel. (laughs) Yeah. And we've talked about comparisons between the chef and Patrick Bateman, but is the chef Hannibal Lecter? Like he's, he's very prepared to make this weird facsimile of Kermit. And up until he gets the spray can. It's. Flesh colored. Yeah, it's a it's unsettling. <laughs> yeah. Well, at first
1: Linda points out that it doesn't have any eyes. And I, there's a great line where the chef goes.
2: The googly." <laughs> yes.
1: And uh, so they, they make some eyes for him. And then she goes, well, the only problem now is Kermit's green. Because you're right. He is this flesh colored mound of. Um, chopped liver. Of chopped liver. And the chef grabs a can of spray paint that just happens to be sitting there because apparently he's also a tagger. We don't know what he does after hours. And, and on screen, they spray paint the face green. First of all, it doesn't look like Kermit. It looks like Donatello. Yeah. It, it looks like a ninja turtle. doesn't look like Kermit. Especially once he sprays the green on it. I was like, nah, that's Michelangelo. Linda keeps saying like, Linda tries to stop him because she's like, we don't, not the spray paint. <laughs> you don't eat spray paint. But that doesn't stop him from uh, turning his his thing into Raphael. God, I love being a turtle! But, uh, um, yeah, funny little bit. So then we get our UK spot. Robin and a uh, bunch of our old friends from the Frog Prince sing a Chet Atkins song called Frog Kissing," which is basically a very self-serving song being sung by frogs. Um, seems very self-serving because the entire premise is, kiss a frog, it might be a prince. They've got to work that angle. They. <laughs> Works and all. <laughs> I mean, that's, what, yeah, I mean, you know, and again, we have a frog theme tonight, right? We're doing a tribute to Kermit and to frogs in general. And yeah, it just, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't think much about this one, <laughs> but uh, I, all, all that occurred to me was like, well, yeah, that's quite an angle you got there. You know, I might turn into a prince. You never know. Then we get our vet's hospital. And again, in honor of Kermit's birthday, Robin is the uh, the patient. And uh, we have some good jokes in this one.
2: So can we talk about the fact that we've got two episodes in a row that establish that Miss Piggy is the evil stepmom? Because she's legit ready to throttle Robin. If he doesn't call her aunt. Yeah. (laughs) Whose entire purpose on the show is to be cute. It's like, Deciding that you've got beef with little Sebastian. Although, to be fair, I've heard that miniature horses are actually kind of pleasant. But
1: there's some funny jokes involving Robin, involving frogs, involving, yeah, Kermit, or Piggy, wanting Robin to call her Aunt uh, Piggy. My favorite moment in the entire thing, though, is at one point where Janice says, Dr. Bob, I haven't had a line in five minutes. That's nice, yeah. And Dr. Bob says, well,
0: Count your blessings. Well, one, I'm really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Nice to know Janice at least has a good self sense of self-esteem. Oh, I'm sure she's got a, a great sense of self-esteem. She's chilling 90% of the time. Uh
1: and then yeah, and then it ends with uh Piggy like basically twisting his arm Robin's arm to get him, and he goes, Okay, Uncle, Uncle, and she's like, twist harder. And he's like, aunt. <laughs> it's like, damn, Piggy. <laughs> she really she's making a hard push this week. Then we get something very sweet and 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 um Sweet and uh,
2: Melancholy from Statler and Moldorf. When's the last time they got a proper number?
1: I don't know. There was that time Miss Mousy sang in their booth. <laughs> mm. But uh, besides that, no, this is, uh, you know, other... There was that, like this, I don't think we've seen this before. We've seen them singing along when they do, like, the, the um, old beer hall songs or whatever, mm. you know? They'll sing with those. But no, this is the first time we've sat down. And Statler and Moldorf um, are talking about how they're actually enjoying... Kermit's birthday celebration, and they talk about how they stopped having birthdays a while ago. Um, and they sing, It Was a Very Good Year. When I
0: was 17, hmm? it was a very good year. Yeah. It was a very good year for small town girls. Soft summer nights. Oh, yes. We'd hide from the lights. <laughs> you too. Huh? Mm, on the village green. Yeah.
1: When we were 17 This is a song written by Evan Drake, but it's by far known as a Frank Sinatra song. Um, it was a very good year, and it's a song about looking back on your on your life and, and, your, and um, uh, looking back in the autumn of your years, in the autumn of your life, looking back on different years. And um, this is just very sweet. When I was 21, hmm? it was a very good
0: year. Hmm. It was a very good year for city girls who lived up the stair (laughs) with perfumed hair Mm -hmm. that came undone Mm.
2: when I was 21. It's got tinges of time in a bottle. It's got tinges of, uh, I'm forgetting the name of Stallone's closing number.
1: The Gilded Cage, Burden in the Gilded Gilded Cage. It's also got some, you know, like ex-wife humor in it. Mm -hmm. You know, to to lighten it up a little bit But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very sweet um, Kind of melancholy song Sung by these two old friends And they even hug at the end
0: mm-hmm.
1: Which is way, way more vulnerable Than we've ever seen them And of course, uh, uh, Jim and Richard just kill it
0: But now the days are short I'm in the autumn of the year now I think of my life as vintage wine from fine old kegs. Mm. From the brim to the dregs, it, it poured, poured sweet and clear. And clear. It, it was a very good
1: year. Then we get our second. Surprise for Kermit! So Kermit comes out again to try to get the show moving. All Kermit wants to do is get the damn show moving. Nick, he's got. He, a he job had a show. Through. He had a schedule. He booked acts. All he's trying to do is get it going. And they keep messing with him to celebrate his birthday. It's very important though because it is his birthday. Is it? We'll see. So the next scooter interrupts him this time, and the next, the next time, the next uh, Kermit the Frog. This is your birthday, and a couple of voices you hear from out back. And who do we get to see? Who comes
2: out to welcome Kermit? I was a little confused by this because we've yeah, it's seen it but we see a return of Wayne and Wanda. Yes. As a unit.
1: As a unit. Yeah. This is very confusing and narratively doesn't make any sense, but it's okay. Wayne and Wanda come out and Kermit's like, we haven't seen you since season one. And they're like, yes, yeah, since you fired us. Now, the reason you're saying it's confusing is because uh, Wayne has been on the show since mm-hmm. many times. He had but,
2: uh, a, a growing romance with Uncle Deadly.
1: Yeah, he had the Uncle Deadly thing. He starred in a couple of Muppet melodramas. He he did some solo numbers, but uh, but for the for the sake of this bit, they're the the musical duo that he fired. And uh, originally, of course, it was it was Aaron Oscar playing Wanda. Now it's Catherine Mullen has come in to play Wanda just for this episode, and they basically guilt Kermit into
2: rehiring them. Yeah, like, it's a poor guilting thing, because it's just like, I mean, we're still leeches, but, you know, we did work once.
1: Yeah, (laughs) well, Wayne even says, he's like, you know, we're doing pretty well for people who had their dreams destroyed, (laughs) or whatever it is, he says. (laughs) And Kermit, the big-hearted lug that he is, goes, you know what? You're rehired. You're rehired. Ladies and gentlemen, Wayne and Wanda. (laughs) And they get... They get two lines into their song and their hideous singing is so hideous that Kermit remembers all of a sudden remembers why he
2: fired them and he fires them again. (laughs) It's a quick turnaround. There's a lot of uh, turnover.
1: Yeah, Wayne. I think when Kermit's pushing him off stage, Wayne's even like twice. (laughs) He's even even he's stunned that he's being fired for a second time. But you're right. It doesn't necessarily track with other stuff, but it's still a funny bit. It's nice to see Wayne and Wanda again. And kind of this meta joke, and we have not seen the two of them since season one as as a duo. You know, I don't so. think we've seen Wanda at all. No, we ha- we haven't. No, because they retired her because of Aaron Oscar She's leaving. So, and we might have seen her in the background at some point. Hmm. But. and we cut back to uh, Linda's dressing room and. Piggy is getting dressed for the big number, uh, for, for the big final number that she has orchestrated for to celebrate Kermit's birthday. Um, and Linda, as usual, Linda's trying to get her into an outfit that's probably about a half a size too small. Um, and it's so small that Piggy bends over and accidentally splits her dress.
2: The pause that Frank gives before she freaks out. <laughs> well,
1: Linda, Linda, she's like, is it bad? Linda's like, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. And um. And she starts to freak out. And Linda does the very classic move where she slaps Piggy to get her to calm their senses. But I do believe she gives her a concussion. Because, <laughs> because then Linda says, you know, Piggy, your dress has, is, is, is uh, split. And we have to go on in a few seconds. I could do the number. And Piggy's like, could you? That would be awesome if you could do the number. That would be so lovely of you to do the number. And she leaves. And Piggy's like,
0: she could do the number. Must have been the
1: slap. So I think she got concussed there because the only way Piggy agrees to that is if she's not thinking right. Even she knows that. But so Linda's going to take Piggy's place in the closing number. So the closing number to me reminded me of the old opening credits. Yeah, I, I can see that. So for the closing number, Linda and a bunch of the cast sing a song called Beyond the Blue Horizon. And they've got this big uh, birthday cake set and she's standing on the top of it. And then all the Muppets kind of form like almost a conga line, <laughs> kind of.
2: It's, it's a weird procession because you've got the impression of uh, like zigzagging stairs going up. Sort of like yeah. those those children's toys where you've got like ducks or something that are traveling up something before tipping over.
1: But yeah, it's it's weird. It's hard to explain, but it's this multi-tiered birthday cake which reminds me very much of the... And Kermit ends up on the top of it, and that very much reminded me of the season one credits that ended with that birthday cake-looking risers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it's just this procession of characters, and the whole time Fozzie and... Is it Fozzie and Gonzo are like, pushing Kermit up the stairs the entire time? Because Kermit doesn't want to have anything to do with this. It's important to remember that Kermit doesn't want to have anything to do with his birthday celebration this entire time. There
2: may be a reason for that. I mean, part of that is the fact that it's completely... Like, don't get me wrong. I would be appreciative to a degree of a surprise birthday in a non-pandemic setting. But I also regularly have a lot of things that I need to get done. And some small part in the back of my head would be like, there's something that I've got to get in. There's something I've got to get done. What am I doing here? I love these people. I need to go.
1: Yeah, Kermit just seems a little nonplussed. And he he does he really doesn't like being manhandled or frog handled by, uh, by Fo- Fozzie and Gonzo. And yeah, and we get this thing. There's not a lot to say about it. It's just a bunch of Muppets walk up this birthday cake and they sing to Kermit. That's all we really got from this. Then we say goodbye, and uh, they come out, and, they, they, and we're still in front of the birthday cake set, and they start to sing for He's a Jolly Good Fellow, and Kermit's trying to say something, and they're ignoring him. And then at the very end, as they get to the end of He's a Jolly Good Fellow, Piggy pops out of a cake, wearing clothes, thankfully. I'm just saying that could go various ways. It's true. Depends on what kind of party you're at. But she pops out just to say happy birthday to Kermit. And then Kermit has to make a shocking revelation.
0: Listen, listen, everybody. I'm sorry, but I have a very embarrassing announcement to make. What? Uh, well, today is not my birthday. It's about four months from now.
2: It's not his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they get you every time.
1: Now, first of all, th- this is the other inside joke. He's, this episode was shot in late May. He says, my birthday is not for another four months. Four months put you late September, which is Jim Henson's birthday. Nice little joke there. There's the Leland, Mississippi joke. And then there's the joke here about his birthday not being for another four months. And they all end with everybody arguing, trying to, I'm assuming trying to figure out who
2: got this wrong. Now, how do we figure this happened? Piggy's got no attention span, but she's also weirdly driven. Like someone's, she's knowing Piggy, she went to a tarot reader or something like that. And they're like, you should celebrate him." She's like, oh, when's Kermit's birthday? Obviously, I don't know when Kermit's birthday is. But I know when his birthday is, and I'm not going to miss it this year. So we're going to get this surprise party started now.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how this, I want to think that like something happened, like Scooter said something or I I don't, I don't know how it happened that she, that that everyone thought it was his birthday. Yes, you're right. It probably starts with Piggy. Whether she's doing it consciously or not, I don't know whether it was a, it's just a mistake. You know, there's some kind of drawing drawing room farce that we missed where she accidentally finds out that it's his birthday when it's not. But uh, it definitely starts with Piggy. There's no way. But it is funny, though, that nobody else know, piped up. It was like, it's not his birthday. Nobody knows. <laughs> but she also took the time to fly out his old teacher. She took the time to fly out his old teacher. They brought Wayne and Wanda back in. They did some, Piggy did some legwork for this. You know, she really did. <laughs> but it's not his birthday. Next time kill, kill, kill. So next time we're going to be talking about a couple of good ones. We're talking about episode 407 with funny man, Dudley Moore and 408 with folk singer Arlo Guthrie. In the meantime, though, check us out on social media at lunatic daring, you know, give us a review on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Google, Google, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. Just give us a little review and a rating. That would be great. That's all for this episode, I guess. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. A Feat of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podowitz. And a proud production of...
0: Antithesis Audio. Should all acquaintance be forgot? Why are you singing that? I forgot. No!